Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. We're going to talk this morning about the Word. You know, growing up for me, and even now as a grown-up, one of the things that we talk about, we're encouraged to do, is to bathe ourselves in the Word of God, to read the the Bible, read the Scriptures as a discipline, and as something that actually becomes a little bit of our guide for life. Uh, The Bible is a book that was given to us because it reveals God as He's revealed Himself throughout the world, but it's also instructional in terms of what it invites us to do. So we have this book, but how we use it, because many of us have actually jumped into it and thought, well, if I'm going to be a good Christian, I've got to tick the box of reading God's word. And then we get in and we start to find some weird and wonderful stuff, don't we? Like many of us probably that have grown up in the faith somewhere in our uh, younger years decided that if we're going to be a really good Christian, we had to be able to say that we've read the Bible from cover to cover and usually in a year because that's like ultimate holiness. And uh, then we got two books in, you know, Genesis is interesting, Exodus is some cool stories and Leviticus then became the graveyard of every want to be read through the Bible young person because there's some weird stuff in there. It doesn't make sense. And just like in the video, many of us have come to the point of going, I believe this is God's inspired word, but what do I do with the things that don't make sense to me? The Bible can be challenging. It can be challenging because it's an ancient document in many parts, but written thousands of years ago. And we read texts that were written a couple of hundred years ago, and there's things in there that reference culture and society and the way the world is that don't make sense to us here today. But Take that and apply it to something that was written thousands of years ago. And there's a culture and a contextual gap that sometimes can make it challenging to read God's word and then say, well, if this is true, what do I do with that? Well, I'm here today to encourage us that if that's been your story, don't give up. I'm here to actually talk to us about what we can get out of God's word. And James, we're moving through the book of James, which by nature is incredibly practical. Actually, if you're starting out in the Christian faith, I'd encourage you, don't read the Bible from page one. I'd encourage you to go and start with one of the stories of Jesus, one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And then you could read a book like James because it makes faith incredibly practical. And James talks to us about the Word of God. This is what he says in James chapter one from verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You see, some of us have given up on reading God's word because we came across some stuff that we just didn't know what to do with. But James wants to encourage us again. He just simply says this. Read, read the word, apply the word, and be transformed by the word. 
So I want to talk about that for a little bit this morning. I want to give us four things to think about when it comes to what we do with the Word of God. And the first thing I want to say is this. We need to allow the Word of God to shape us. We need to allow the Word of God to shape us. James, anyone who reads the Word or listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You ever looked at a photo of yourself and thought, do I really look like that? Do I really look like that? You've got to remember, James writes this at a time in history where people didn't have cameras and selfies and photos hanging of themselves around their houses. The only time that you would ever get a sense of what you look like is if you found a reflection of yourself somewhere. So people were probably less inclined to know the intricate detail of their own features and what they look like in the times that James writes this than you and I are today because we've grown up in a world where images of ourselves are constant. But James writes this at a time where it wasn't and so he says, if you just get a glance of yourself and then you walk away and forget what you look like, that's like reading the word and then actually just walking away and forgetting what it says. No, no, if you really want to be able to describe yourself, what do you need to be able to do? You need to gaze into that reflection for a little while. Now, I can gaze into a reflection and very quickly give you a glimpse of what I look like. Uh, Number one, bald, I look like Ben Kemp. (laughs) Like I could gaze into a reflection and see Ben. But if I look intently, then we start to notice the different features. And so you start to look at yourself intently in the mirror. But if if we don't look at the word of God intently, we don't stare at it and let it actually come alive into us. We're just like someone that gets a glance of ourselves and immediately when asked to describe what we look like, have no idea what to say. You see, James wants to say this to us. He doesn't just want the word of God to be informational for us. I'm going to say some things in a moment that I think some of us are going to go, that is not what I got told in youth. Because if all we do is read the Bible to tick a box and make ourselves feel holier through it, we're wasting our time. If you think the road to holiness is to be able to say, yes, I got up with a cup of coffee at 6am every morning this week and I sat reading God's word. Well, good on you. That's a great discipline to have. But it's only a great discipline if you actually do something with it. See, the Bible's not meant to be informational It's actually not even meant to be aspirational in the sense that we read it and go, yes, I'd like to be more like that. It's meant to be transformational. Not just informational, but transformational. I want to say this. It's better to read it less and apply it more than to apply it less and read it more. If you've got a discipline of devotionally reading God's word, fantastic. Keep it up. If you don't have that discipline, find that discipline. It's a really important discipline. But if your discipline doesn't lead to transformation don't waste your time like take it and learn to apply it that's what James wants to say to it don't let God's word be informational allow it to be transformation I just want us to sit for a minute in James chapter one I'm not going to put it back on screen but why don't you go and read it this week because I want to suggest this I want to use James one as an illustration because sometimes again we can convince ourselves that the more we read the more holy we are right but what if all we had was James chapter 1 if that's the only bit of transcript that we had we didn't live in a world where Bibles were as 
free and as easy to access as they are in our world. Actually, James says this, anyone who listens to the word, he says listens because people couldn't get the published print easily. It was transcribed in scrolls. And so people were dependent on others speaking the word of God to them. They didn't have access to the scriptures the way we did. Actually, when James wrote it, the New Testament was still being authored. So he didn't even have the fullness of the scriptures that we've got. And so he says, when you listen to God's word, when someone speaks to you God's word, allow it to transform you. But imagine if all we had here today wasn't the full manuscript of the Bible that we had, but just James chapter 1. This is what we find in James chapter 1. He says this, consider it pure joy when you face trials. Why? Because it builds perseverance. We talked about that last week. He says this, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in humiliation or humility. He says this, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent. He says, keep a tight rein on your tongue. And he says, if you want to show religion that is faultless, go and start to look after orphans and widows because this is what God declares as faultless. If that is all you had, there is enough content in that that if you spent the next year applying it, would transform your life. Imagine if at the end of 2021, you were able to say this, all I had was James chapter one, but I read it and I let it transform me. If at the end of this year, you're able to say this, I walked through the trials that came against me and I persevered. My faith was stronger at the end of it. If at the end of this year, you're able to say, I stopped looking at wealth as my saviour and started to recognise that only God can be my saviour. If you're able to say, I learnt to react less. I zipped my lips occasionally and I listened to someone else's perspective and I grew an empathy muscle that I didn't know I had. And instead of flying into a fit of rage, I actually slowed things down. If at the end of this, we, this year you said, I actually started to purge some of the moral filth in my life. I stopped watching some of the shows that I was watching, reading some of the articles that I was reading and allowed God to transform me more than popular culture. If at the end of this year you're able to say, I actually became kinder and started to use that which God had given me to serve those in need in this world. If that was what you could say by the end of this year, you would say that you've done pretty well. And that's just what we get out of James chapter 1. See, God's word is designed to shape us. It's not a race to read as much as you can. And please don't hear today that I'm telling us that we shouldn't read. But I'm saying if we read it informationally and don't allow it to transform us, we've missed the point. That's what James wants to say. Listen to the word, read the word, but then do something with it. Don't just turn it into a nice piece of artwork that you stick on the wall because it's great sentiment. Actually allow it to transform your life. Children's ministry. When they get bored, it's like setting off an alarm. See what you can do. So allow the word of God to shape you. Number two, I want to say this. Allow the word of God to mature you. Hebrews chapter 5 says this. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. Yet you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. What's that saying? It's saying there's a point 
where you've become a follower of Jesus, where your faith starts to mature, where you grow up a little bit. For the tradesmen in the room, is there a point where you take on an apprentice and you train them and they get to a point where you think we're four years in now, there's some things that I shouldn't have to teach you to do again. Or there's some things that I should expect that are now second nature to you. I shouldn't have to teach you how to safely use a nail gun. I shouldn't have to teach you how to put your nail belt on properly. I shouldn't teach you how to like set up scaffold, whatever it is. I'm not a tradesman, I'm making all this up. But all of you that are, know that there's a point where you take on someone as an apprentice and you expect that by a particular point in their story, they're actually getting some stuff right. I think what the scripture wants to say is if you've been following Jesus more than five minutes, things should start to change. Like as you read the word, not informationally, but transformationally, the thing that should follow is a growing maturity in your faith. Yet some of us, maybe as tradies, expect it with our apprentices, maybe as teachers, expect it with our students, as parents, we expect it with our kids, that as they grow, there's some things that become second nature. I expect my two-year-old to spill some milk occasionally. I don't expect my 15-year-old to be spilling it down themselves every time we eat. You see, there's something that happens when we grow up in life that things that used to happen when we were infants don't happen any longer now that we're matured. Yet some of us have been following Jesus for a really long time, yet we still shy away from things that by this stage in our faith should be second nature and natural as part of the life of a believer. This is going to be the most cutting thing that I say to some of us today, and I hope that you walk away with this challenge sitting in your spirit But the things we expect of kids and apprentices and students and everyone else, that their trajectory of growing up, some of us have been following Jesus 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and yet when it comes time to open our mouth and say something that we love about Jesus, we just, we freeze. When we sit around the family table, we don't know how to pray. There's a point where James says, read the word and start to apply it. Start to live what you read. Don't just take it as great sentiment. Take it as life action. And the author of the Hebrews tells us how to do it. He says, solid food is for the mature who what? By constant use. Not by constant reading, but by constant use. Have learnt, have trained themselves to distinguish from good and evil. So James says, listen to the word and apply the word. The writer of the Hebrews says, don't live as infants anymore. Start to grow up in your faith. How do you become more confident in prayer? Pray. There's some of us sit in places and think, I'm not going to pray because I don't sound as eloquent as the next person. And my favourite prayer meetings are when people pray that don't think they can pray because it comes from a place of authenticity that is so much better to listen to than someone that rambles on for 10 minutes with all the words of eloquence that have been formed through a life of worrying about what everyone else hears. If you want to know how to grow in prayer, just start praying. How do you become more confident in sharing about Jesus? Open your mouth and say something about him. How do you become more skilled in the concept of forgiveness? Well, start to forgive. How do you become more generous? Give. How do you become more humble? Well, start to serve the poor and don't announce it on Facebook. But take the word informationally. Don't just leave it aspirationally. Allow it to become transformational. James just says, don't just listen, do it. 
For some of us today, our greatest challenge is it's time to grow up a little bit in our faith. We're not new Christians anymore. We've been following Jesus a long time and he's actually ready for us to put the boots on, put the gloves on and get our feet and our hands busy and dirty. So allow the word to mature you. Number three, allow the word to guide you. See, Scripture's designed to help us discover the person that God intended us to be. It reveals to us God and his ways, but we live in a world with more access to Scriptures than ever before, but a lower biblical literacy than probably at any time in history. Many of us would say that we hold a biblical worldview, but when really pushed on it, we don't actually know what the Bible has to say. I don't know about you, but I'm not very good with manuals. I get a new product, I take it out of the box, I put it together, I leave the manual in its sleeve. You don't even get manuals with half the stuff these days because people have realised that most people don't need them and you can go find them online. But I've realised over time that there's some things I've ripped myself out off on because I haven't read the manual. You see, I get a new dishwasher, it's got 15 functions, I plug it in, I press a few buttons, it works, I'm set. I'll just use that over and over and over again for the next 10 years because the thing works. I get in my car, there's a whole bunch of buttons with symbols on them I don't understand. I don't worry about pressing them because what's the point? I've worked out how to turn it on, how to drive it, how to park it, how to turn on the lights. And I borrowed a BMW for my son Eli's um, formal last year. Someone I knew that just lent me their Beamer and I uh, drove it to the formal and on the way home I went to get it cleaned and went to put fuel in it. And if you've ever sat in a newer model BMW, not even that new, but it was, you know, five or six years old, there's buttons everywhere. So I pull into the fuel station and I'm looking for the button that releases the fuel door. Right, and there's a lineup of cars and I'm, nothing made sense. I get out, I look under the seat. I'm like, where is this stupid thing? Eventually I open the manual and I flick through to find a filling car with fuel and it just says, press the fuel door and it will open. So I get out and I press the thing and it pops open. And the cars I have, don't, they're a little bit kind of more user-friendly than that. But sometimes we rip ourselves off because we don't actually read the manual. My family was giving me a hard time recently. I don't have it with me, but I was trying to take a photo or something. I was trying to get it really quickly and, and stupid mask wrecked face ID thing. Anyone else find that? I'm going to reset mine with a mask on because I'm sick of opening the thing and it not knowing who I am. Like surely my eyes are telltale enough, but obviously not for Apple. So... I open it and, and I'm fumbling and I've got something in one hand and I'm taking my time. By the time I got to my camera, I'd missed the photo opportunity. One of my kids said, you don't even need to unlock your phone, Dad. There's a button on the home screen that opens the camera. I didn't know that. But what's... The Apple manual is like 497,000 pages long. I just need to know how to turn the thing on, make a phone call. I still haven't worked out how to reply to text messages. I'll just let you all know that. Anyone that knows me well, but that'll come in the next five or ten years. But now I know, if anyone else needs to know, I can get the camera without unlocking my phone. It's fantastic. Anyone else? Anyone, is this new to anyone else or is it just me? That means that I can get your phone and take a selfie of myself today without needing your passcode. So watch out. Because this face is going to be the background screen on a lot of phones in this church in the next little while now that I've discovered this skill. But you see, I'm not very good at reading manuals. And some of us have done that with our faith. We've actually said we've taken on a biblical worldview, but we've never educated ourselves in what a biblical worldview is. The problem with that is we live in a culture that has a very loud voice. And so some of us have actually allowed culture 
to become the voice that sets our norm of what is right, wrong, what is good, what is bad, and what is acceptable. I want to ask you, where are you getting your education about love? Because some of us know more about love from watching Farmer Wants a Wife and The Bachelor than we know from the heart of God. Some of us more know about what God wants to say about healthy sex by watching Home and Away and Neighbours than we know from the very Word of God. And so we've got a generation of young people that, that have never actually had anyone talk to them about godly sex and sexuality that is actually designed to help them flourish and enjoy it more than they could ever imagine because they've watched what the world says about it and they don't even know what God thinks. Where are you getting your education about money or human value or forgiveness or purpose or hope? For some of us, it's popular TV. For some of us, it's news channel or breakfast radio. But James says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Because there's a fundamental thing that underpins God's word, and it's this, that God knows you, that God understands you, and that God has designed you to flourish when you live within the bounds of the world as he's created it. God isn't trying to hold you back. God's actually trying to help you flourish. So if you love the way God says to love, guess what? You'll love better than you could if you love the way the world says to love. If you use your money the way that God says to use your money, you're going to be a whole lot more content than if you use your money the way the world says you should use your money. If you value people and forgive them and speak hope and purpose into them the way that God says, you will flourish so much more than if you do it the way the world says. James says, stare into the perfect law because it brings freedom. And that's the fourth thing I want to say this morning. Allow God's word to free you. We've bought into this idea. We've put these two concepts together and we said they don't make sense. James says, look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. We've determined that law and freedom are two words that don't come together. We've actually decided to define freedom as doing whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. And James says, no, no, look at the law because it will bring you freedom. Freedom isn't lawlessness. Freedom isn't doing things without hindrance the way that we want to do them. Let me give you a really practical example that will make sense. Has anyone here ever driven in the developing world where the road rules are more aspirational than they are applied? Last time I was uh, on my way to the airport, part of the developing world, and we were running late and our taxi driver had a little bit of impatience attached to him and a little bit of anger attached to him. And we got into a traffic jam on the side of the road that we should have been on. But he also knew that he lived in a culture where if he crossed to the other side of the road, it wasn't going to be an issue. So across the other side of the road, there's horns going off endlessly. He's flicking the bird to people and he's just going nuts. Anyway, we drive up past the traffic jam, realise the reason there's a traffic jam is a truck's broken down. And he now decides, well, I, the road's coming back into one lane. I need to get back on the right side of the road. So he then decides to... Uh, squeeze into a gap that's smaller than the car that he's driving that we're all in his taxi. So he squeezes in, he bumps the bus beside him, he nudges the car in front of him, he backs into the car behind him and he just keeps doing this until there's enough room for him to fit in. And suddenly we still get stuck in the traffic jam. See, we live in a world that says, drive on the left side of the road, stop at the red light, go to the speed limit. And we could either look at that as a law that actually limits our freedom or we could actually look at it as something that helps us live freer than if we all just went and did our own way. 
Because if we all go and do it our own way, we know what ensues. It's chaos. And God's law is actually a roadmap for a freer life because it protects you from the pitfalls that come and the chaos that comes from your own application of freedom. More than that, God's law imagines a communal society, not an individual one. See, we as individuals think that we should just do things the way that suits us and that makes our life better. But God always sees us through the lens of the community that he formed us in. And he says, so well, you can go and take every biscuit off the table or you can take one and let everyone else have one as well. You see, God's law always is applied communally, not just individually. And it helps us not just do life better as a person, but it helps us as a community function appropriately and effectively. You see, the law gives freedom. If you stare at the law of God and you allow it to transform your life, it will bring greater freedom into your life than you have ever imagined. I'll get the band to come and join me. Because this is what I want to say to us this morning. Some of us gave up on reading God's word because it became too difficult. I want to encourage you, it's time to renew that discipline. But not just to tick a box or to say that you've read it all, but to allow the information not just to become an aspiration, but to become transformation. Stare into the perfect law of God, actually start to ask the question, how does God say I should love? How does God say I should give? How does God say I should deal with the problematic people in our world? How does God say I should use my words? How does God say I should use my time? How does God say I should do relationship? How does God say I should forgive? How does God say I should value people? How does God say I should deal with the mess and brokenness in this world? Is it all about me or is it all about me doing what I can to serve the broken and the hurting and the lost? Actually, if we start to ask those questions, if we look at God's word and we allow it to transform us, if we read it and we apply it, if we do what it says, life will start to change for you, I promise. So here's the challenge this morning, and it's a really practical one, and I'm going to get some of you to do something really uncomfortable for you, but I want to give you a practical challenge this morning. For the next term, we're going to be looking through the book of James, or from now right through August. To the end of August, we're going to be preaching through the book of James. And for some of us, it's time to re-engage the discipline of God's Word. So I'm going to give you something very simple and very practical that I want to challenge you to do, because some of us need a challenge, right? And if you want to jump on this challenge with me, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and say, I'm in, I'm up for the challenge. I'm going to get you to stand for two reasons. One, it's your commitment to God, but one, it's some accountability with each other. And if you see someone in your life group, or you see someone in your family, or you see someone that you're really good friends with, that stands, do you now have permission next week to say, how are you going with that? Okay, so this today your response isn't about making me feel like I preached a good sermon. It's actually about accountability. And so through the month of August, I want to challenge you to do this. I want you to read the book of James. To, to do it well, it's probably just a chapter a week for the next five weeks, right? Five, six weeks. I want you to read the chapter and I want you to ask yourself two questions. What have I learnt from reading it and what is God challenging me to apply I want you to write those things down what's one thing I've learned what's one thing that God's challenging me to apply today in my family in my workplace in my sporting club in my neighborhood just one thing there's probably 20 but just pick one pick one thing you've learned one thing you want to apply and then come back a week later and ask yourself how you went so there's a the challenge right I'm going to put this up on 
We might put this on Facebook later just to remind you of what the challenge is. You're all going, what was it we had to do? You're going to read it. You're going to ask yourself and you're going to write down something, what did I learn from it? You're going to write down what do I need to apply from it and then a week later you're going to come back and reflect. Because James says, don't just read the word. Don't just listen to it. Don't just take it in as information. Go and do what it says. And when you do, freedom will follow. Cool, so there's a challenge for this week. I'm giving you homework. I don't like homework, but I'm giving you homework. Here's what I'd love you to do. If you want to take up the challenge, you want to be in it with me, I'm going to ask you right now, because I'm just going to pray for you, but this is about accountability, right? Why don't you stand on your feet? Look around. And don't do it because everyone else is standing or someone next to you is standing, but do it if you're really committed to doing it, right? And jump on your feet. If you're not a friend of our Facebook page, like it because I'll write up the little formula this week. If you're not on Facebook, you're a blessed person. You can email almo at gatewaybaptist.com.au and say, remind me of what we had to do again. Read it. Something I've learned, something I'm going to do, and then go back a week later and reflect on it. Right, okay, I'm going to pray for all of you right now. Lord Jesus, your word was given to us to help us be transformed, to bring freedom into our life, to help us live life the way that you always intended us to live life. God, you invite us not just to take it in just so we can say, yep, we do it, we read it. You actually want your word to transform us. Your word brings life. Your word brings hope. Your word brings forgiveness. God, I want to pray for everyone here today that has taken up this challenge. In this next month, Lord, I want to pray that you would make such a clear difference in their life as they start to apply your word, that they wouldn't just see it as another thing to tick the box on, but God, they would see the freedom that follows it. So God, by your Holy Spirit, I just want to pray that you would just plant a seed of desire in them right now, Lord, just to pick it up and to start reading to ask the questions of it, God, but then to have the courage to be obedient. And God, you're going to ask some of these people to do something that's going to be really confrontational to them. It's going to be something that they have known they should be doing for a long time, but suddenly, Jesus, you're actually going to just put a bit of fire on it for them this month. Lord, give them the courage to be obedient to whatever it is that you call them to do. And I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, one of the rest of us just jump on our feet. We're going to sing a song as we land our service today. It's a prayer. It's a statement. I surrender. I surrender. You see, the Christian life is so much about surrender. It's actually about surrendering our life, our will, our purpose, our ways to the things of God. And those of you that stood this morning and made the declaration that this month you're going to choose to surrender your will and ways to the purposes of Jesus in your life. You're going to find something cool. I promise. If God does something, don't hold the story back. Share it, right? Email me, find me, tell your life group. But if if something happens as you start to listen and apply the Word of God, allow it to transform. Come on, let's see. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and our locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.